Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, welcome. We are glad that you are watching with us uh, wherever you are. And uh, we are online and we're we're worshiping the Lord um, today. Well, let's start off with a confessional. Uh, For all those who are watching, whatever time it might be, uh, we're going to have a little confessional time here with the pastor. Um, If you are someone who has begun decorating for Christmas in any form or fashion, I want you to raise your hand wherever you are, in your living room, in your pajamas, uh, you raise your hand nice and high, or maybe you're pointing to the person who is guilty of doing this. Go ahead. We're going to pull these people out. All right. So wherever those people are, um, I want to have a little confessional with you as well. I grew up in a home where Thanksgiving was sacred. Um, I don't know if you had this kind of traditions in your own home, but we had, uh, my dad has his own Thanksgiving plate. We actually have the salt and pepper shakers growing up that are turkeys that you only use once a year. And because of that, uh, all of these things of family, we never, ever, ever put out a Christmas decoration early. But I have to confess, if Dad, if you're watching, I am guilty this year. Um, this past week I was putting out nativities, I was putting up some Christmas lights. I too am guilty of that, just like many who are watching. And so that got me thinking, well, why is it, like when you're driving around, you're starting to see Christmas lights, everything seems to be early, everything is earlier than it normally is. And maybe it's because of global pandemic, COVID-19. There are are some things that are just like we're at home more and we have more time and we're looking for maybe something that will bring us some joy. And so Christmas lights and, and putting out nativities is maybe that thing that we just need to do a little bit earlier this year. And so all that to say, we're all looking for that joy, and I want to tell you that as a church, we too are celebrating this time of year of what this joy is really as we're heading into the Christmas season. Advent begins next week. We are so excited as a church to be celebrating the joy that is really Jesus Christ. So much so that we're going to be doing some things different. And uh, here's a video uh, that can tell you exactly what we're going to be celebrating. So in a world that is really dark, in a world that is struggling for hope, I think we're all looking for something that will bring joy. Joy to the World is such a familiar song that probably virtually everybody knows. And so we're using that as a basis to talk about the real joy that we have about what has happened to our world. Global pandemic, a lot of disappointment in the world. You have people who are struggling and you have now brought in the Christmas season. Two things colliding together and people are wondering, now what? How do you reconcile these things? In the midst of darkness, we can have joy. 
here at Riverwood. We would love for you to celebrate the joy to the world. So we are excited as a church to be celebrating the Christmas season. And it's interesting because now I've been thinking, you know, why are we doing this earlier? And even silly things like decorating, how it changes our heart, um, global pandemic, to change these things that seem so minor in the grand scheme of things. It got me wondering as a pastor, like, if it took kind of a, a pandemic to change our hearts on decorating for Christmas, what will it take to change our hearts when it comes to the things of God or the things of the Bible or the things that are really important? It's going to take something probably pretty strong. And, see, and that's why we've gathered together together. Uh, to gather together around God's word to see what does he want us to know? What does he want us to see? What are the things that will change our, our hearts? And as a pastor, I come to these moments not discouraged. Just so you know, I come to these moments with hope because I know that our God can do immeasurably more than what we can even ask or imagine, even when it comes to the human heart. And so that's what brings us together in this unique moment uh, as we look to God's word. What is his heart and what does he want us to know that can change our hearts? And so if you've been following along in our series through the book of Romans, this has been the Apostle Paul's conversation to all of us. He's been talking about the human heart all the way from the beginning. And so if you've missed, or if you're wondering, like, what does the Bible say about the human heart, let me just kind of catch us up. The story isn't a, a good one. From the very first chapter, Paul tells us that our heart, your heart, my heart, all of our hearts are filled with unrighteousness, filled with evil. And he goes on to kind of talk about that more, that we exchange the glory of God for lies, for lies. We lie to ourselves. We, we seek out idols. We are suppressors of, of truth in our hearts. And it goes on that we even distort even our human sexuality uh, when we start looking at our heart. It goes even further. Paul will say, we even try to sprinkle in some religion to make our hearts feel better. But all of that falls way short. And so you might be thinking, all right, so where's the hope in all of this? That's where we get to the good part. Because even our stubborn hearts can be changed. Our stubborn hearts that seemingly are always chasing after the things of this world can actually be molded and shaped into something that can honor the Lord. And so that is what gives me hope as a pastor. And it comes down to this thing called the gospel, the good news. That's what can bring hope uh, to people who have hopelessness and are wondering what can change a heart. God's word can because he is the one who has given us the ability through his son, Jesus Christ, to have something different.
Last week we talked about those who are united with Christ, there is true hope. And that is the power of the gospel. And so if you're watching this morning, that's where our conversation is going to be. If you are clicking in and watching and you're wondering, man, where is the hope in this world? What, what, what can we look to? We're going to look to something here um, in God's word um, this morning. So for all those people who are, are watching who want to have a heart that looks more like the heart of Jesus Christ. Let's see what that looks like in God's Word. So if you have your Bible handy, let's open up to, to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to start reading in verse 15. And this is what God's Word says. Please listen. Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So it's the same people who were talking to people, who were talking to Paul last week, who are now seemingly talking to him once again, and that he's answering over and over again. And last week, the question came from verse 1 of the same chapter, where people were asking, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And from last week, you know what Paul's answer was. By no means. And so last week, he used the metaphor of Baptism, if you remember, Paul said, We have been baptized with Christ. We have been baptized in his death. We've been baptized in his resurrection. And of course, we won't keep on sinning in the here and now of our Christian lives. But for some who might not have been familiar with baptism, Paul's thinking, Well, okay, let me give you a different metaphor. Maybe these churchy metaphors are, are being lost on people. Maybe they wouldn't quite understand. And so he's going to give a different metaphor and answer that question. And it got me thinking about even Christmas and words we use in church. A lot of times we lose people on our religious terms. And I was even thinking of the term even Advent. You know, we start talking about the Advent season, and I was wondering this past week, does the average person who's walking on Main Street down in downtown Kent, if you would tell them about Advent, would they even know what it means? And so it was just a reminder for all of us. We just need to be careful in the words we use. And not that we shouldn't use them, but let's just be clear about them. And so even the word of Advent is a great word that means anticipation. Uh, we are anticipating something really wonderful. And 2,000 years ago is the birth of Christ, who is the hope of the world. And so we can use that word of Advent. Let's just be clear about it. And so Paul's doing the same thing here. He said, okay, maybe baptism was lost on people, but let me use a different metaphor. And he says, how about this thing of slavery? Slavery. Now, in the first century, uh, that would have been something that 100% of the people listening would be able to relate to. 
Can you think of a metaphor, even our own culture, that 100% of the time people would understand? That's incredible. Think about something you would eat, something that you would drink, some kind of experience that is universal to every single one of us. Maybe even being a Browns fan, probably not. But think about this metaphor in the first century of of slavery. Now, here's the interpretive problem. When we now as 21st century readers go into this text and we see Paul talking about slavery, here's what comes to our minds. Oh, slavery like in the 20th century, uh, the practice of forced slavery for people who are coming into our country and those who are against their wills, that, that kind of slavery, that's what Paul's talking about, right? Well, I can assure you that the Apostle Paul was not talking about 20th century slavery. He was talking about first century slavery. And what that looked like in the first century was at times people were captured and forced into slavery. But also in this culture, there would have been moments where people would have been slaves voluntarily. Voluntarily? Why would you do that? Well, you would voluntarily be forced uh, yourself into slavery so that you could pay a debt. You would become somebody else's property so that you could pay a debt and, and then come out of that. And so those even in this context of listening to this letter originally, experts tell us that many of them probably were uh, slaves and so this is what Paul uses, this, this metaphor. And what is true about slavery back then, which is still true today, is that when you give yourself, you give yourself in totality. You gave your everything to someone else. And so Paul is leveraging this metaphor in this spiritual conversation as well. And as what Paul is communicating in verses 15 and 16 is that the spiritual reality is that the human heart, by its very design, is always enslaved. The human heart is always enslaved. It's, it's mastered. It's always given in totality. And it's either given in ways of given to either the obedience of, of sin or it's given to the obedience of and slavery of righteousness. And so Paul will go on and clarify this in greater ways. Let's keep reading. He has more to kind of give us some understanding. In verse 17, Paul continues and he says this. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's weird to think that we're heading into a week of Thanksgiving and all the experts are talking about the, the number of people who won't be traveling. 50% of people will be staying home this Thanksgiving. And whether you're part of that 50% who are going to be traveling or not, I think we can all agree that we all look forward to those moments where we can travel. We look forward to going to relatives' homes. We look forward to going to grandma's house. And, and the journey on those Thanksgivings is really uh, fun. And as we travel, it's, we have all those usual places we turn, all of those landmarks where you know you're getting closer and closer. And that's exactly what Paul is laying out for us. For every human being, he says, our heart is on a journey. And there are some landmarks to take note of on this journey. And the first, you know, you're either on one journey or the other. And the first journey he lays out is really this journey of sin. Our heart, our human heart that is enslaved to sin. And so... He talks about these different landmarks along the road. And if you notice, he talks about these things of, of impurity and lawlessness. And he says there's fruit. There's consequences to all of this kind of sin in our lives. And it speaks of this thing of enslavement that includes shame. And along the path, he keeps traveling. Our human heart keeps traveling further and further down. And it's, it's, it continues on this path and destination that isn't about heading into grandma's house filled with turkey and pumpkin pie. But notice what he says, that our obedient and enslaved hearts will eventually lead to sin and eventually lead to, notice what word Paul uses, death. And you might be thinking, well, that's true. Don't we all die? But that's not the kind of death that Paul is speaking about here in Romans. It's not a physical death. It's in contrast to the other path we'll look at that speaks of eternal life. But the death is this spiritual journey of death. And the end is a reality that we don't like to talk about often. And especially uh, not at holidays. It's not popular around the table but it is this reality of spiritual death and separation from God. See, Paul speaks about the reality of hell uh, being separated from God eternally. And you see, Paul wasn't the only one to speak of this kind of death. If you remember, Jesus Christ was also someone who spoke of hell and separation from God often. In Luke chapter 16 of the Gospel of Luke, in Matthew chapter 25 in his Gospel, Jesus speaks clearly of these moments of human beings either being on a path of eternal punishment or on the path of eternal life. And so Paul's laying this, this journey out. The sinful heart will eventually lead itself to death. But if we go back to Romans 6, Paul lays out kind of the landmarks on the, the different path that we can head. It's a different path that's marked by grace and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says there's different words on this path. It's about righteousness. 
it's about this righteousness that leads to sanctification. <laughs> sanctification. There's another religious word, right? If you're watching, you're like, oh, man, what does this word mean? Well, let's not be intimidated by the word. It's a word that simply means that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are now on a journey to walk with him. And sanctification means you are looking more like Jesus day by day in the things that you decide, in the, in the power that you now have over sin. You are growing more and more like him. And so Paul says, on this journey of, of righteousness, you're looking more and more like Jesus Christ in this journey of sanctification. That is the fruit that you have, not the fruit that leads to death, but Paul says the fruit that leads to eternal life. And so let's pause here for a moment and ask this question. Where are you headed Where are you headed? As you click in and you're watching and you're looking for hope and you're looking for something to grab onto and you know that your own human heart is sinful, you're looking for something. You're looking for a path to journey down. And right now the path, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, that path is leading to this thing of unrighteousness, it's leading to this thing that eventually will take you to the enslavement to spiritual death. But my friend, there is hope. It's right here in God's word. that There is something different. And as a pastor, this is, this is why I preach, this is why I talk to cameras, because I want you to know that there is something different. There is a a relationship that you can have. There is a different path. And Jesus even spoke about this in the Gospel of John. He would say, I am the way. It's interesting he uses that metaphor because he would say, I am the path. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody's going to go to this eternal destination of eternal life with my Father. And Jesus says it this way, unless they come through me. And so Jesus speaks of this path. Paul speaks of this path. And we as a church speak of this path as well. And so in this moment where you're trying to find something of hope, I want you to hear clearly there is hope. Hope is found in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Coming to the moment where you say, my sinful heart, I don't don't want to be on this path of, of destruction. I want to be on the path that leads to life. And it's about surrendering and realizing that Jesus Christ is the one who paid for your penalty of sin with his life. If you want to know more about that and having a relationship with him as a church, we would love to come alongside and walk with you in that. Please reach out. Now, for those who do know Jesus Christ, let's just admit that living and walking in this thing of sanctification is not easy. Yes, you made a decision for for Jesus, and one day you will be with him with eternal life, but in the here and now is all about Romans chapter 6. And Paul says 
Our hearts are prone to wander. Temptation is real. Walking this path of sanctification is is not easy. And so how do we do it? How, How can we find encouragement in the here and now? And I want to draw a back a a verse and draw this to your attention. I think this is really instructive for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so let's go back to verse 17 and make some more application here. God's word says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And what Paul is saying here is that there is a a standard of teaching to which we are committed. There was something about the teaching of God. There is something about the standard of teaching that is instrumental in shaping and shepherding the hearts of human beings. There is something about God's word that he uses to shepherd our hearts. There is something about influential people in moments that shepherd our hearts. There are even moments where we're watching things on a camera through a screen and we're being shepherded. God uses these things because our hearts are prone to wander. We need to be shepherded. And so the principle is still true that even after we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, our hearts are prone to wander into the things of temptation. And we, as people of Christ, even when we are united with Christ, still need to have our hearts shepherded in ways that are pleasing to him. Because here's what I want you to know. The world that we live has its own standard of teaching. The world that we live in has its own things that call us to be committed to. It's the unending news feeds that want to shepherd our hearts. It's the unending marketing of stuff and materialism that wants to shepherd our hearts. It's the constant addictions to entertainment that will shepherd your heart if that's all you're ever listening to. And I truly believe that the enemy of this world would want nothing more than for people who are redeemed to have hearts that are then shepherded by the world. Because at the end of the day, the people who don't know the Savior will look at Christians and be like, why would I want that? You look just like me. Why would I surrender my life to Jesus Christ if you're just going to look just like the world. So that is why Romans chapter 6 is so critical for the followers of Jesus Christ to realize that we are a new creation. To realize that we have been crucified with Christ. That sin no longer has dominance over us. That we are to be walking in our sanctification, be walking with the Savior. And it's hard and difficult, but as we walk with the Savior, with the, the Spirit that indwells, He helps us day by day. And so, 
when I read Romans chapter 6, verse 17, there is something there that I find encouraging, that I know that in my own life, I need something that's going to shepherd my heart each and every day. And what is that? God's word. He speaks to us. He he has given us something that is going to shepherd us through every moment of life, (laughs) through through the wonderful joys but also through the valleys that we experience. And so there are a couple of verses I always go back to that speak to this that I find really encouraging. Two passages of Scripture that speak to the importance of allowing God's Word to shepherd our hearts, the standard of teaching of His Word. One of them is found in, in 2 Timothy, and this is what it says. It says that all Scripture... All scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all of that, all of it is breathed out by God. And notice what it says. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Righteousness, you see? So that the the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. God's word wants to to shepherd our hearts in righteousness for every good work. And then out of Hebrews, notice this passage. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's not just a book that's dusty on the shelf. It's living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word. He has given us his words that can pierce to the level of heart, that can shepherd my heart that is prone to wander, our hearts that are prone to temptation. He has given us something that can help us. And there's other, voice, other verses I could point to, but here's the, the point. The point is this. Maybe in this moment, God is speaking to you to say, hey, maybe this is the season you need to get serious about reading God's word. Maybe this is the, the moment where he's saying, yeah, I'm speaking to you. Listen, I have something I want to shepherd your heart in. I need something to walk in with you. If you're watching and maybe you're someone who doesn't own a Bible, you don't have one, as a church, we would love to put one in your hands. We will mail one to you. But I'm guessing for the vast majority of us, we have multiple Bibles. And maybe in this moment, God is saying, I need you to spend some time with me. And it's a reminder that your heart needs to be continually shepherded in ways of the standard of teaching of what God is wanting. Maybe you're someone who's like, well, how do you even begin? How do you start reading God's word? Reach out to us. As a church, we are so passionate about God's word in the lives of our people. We would love to spend time and help you with that. Well, this conversation this morning has been a conversation about the heart and the journey that all of us are on, the enslavement that we are all enslaved to. We are either enslaved to sin or we are enslaved to Jesus Christ. 
And as a church and as a pastor, I know that God is doing a great work in and through our church, in his people, and to those who are watching. Immeasurably more. He can, he can move people's hearts. He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And that is what we cling to today. May you find hope in where you are walking this morning as you watch. And may you find hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for all of us. Dear God, we give you thanks. And I know that there are some who are watching and they're struggling with this world that we live in. It's difficult. It's hard. It's filled with hopelessness. And then it's filled even with mixed messages from our culture that just wants to put more stuff and entertainment. And at the end of the day, all of that leaves us empty. Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts to what will give us life. And that is the good news of the gospel. The good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And may those who are watching surrender our lives to this gospel. And maybe, not only for us, but maybe for someone who we're thinking about, maybe someone who we're praying for needs to hear this message of hope as well. And then for all of us who who walk with you, who have surrendered our lives to you, who are enslaved to your righteousness, I pray that you would help us to continually be shepherding our hearts, walking with you, looking for moments where we are looking to your word, looking for your spirit to teach us, to point things out, and to bring challenge. Because we want to be a community that looks different people who walk in this life differently for the sake of your kingdom. Please help us in this. And we pray all these things by the power of your son's name, Jesus Christ.